Um, so we'll continue tonight for a um, second class about Pesach and some general messages and themes that we learned from this Yom Tov, which is, as we said last time, the birthday of Klal Yisrael, the Navi calls it the Yom Holedes, the actual birth of the Jewish people as a nation happens on Pesach. And it's, um, as, as we know, that every year all these things happen again and again and again. We have these special energies of going out of Golos and out of redemption. And the Gemara says the entire month of Nisan is a month of Geula. Benisan Nigalu, Benisan Asidin Lihigoyl. In Nisan we were redeemed, in Nisan we will be redeemed. So it's a very special days, days of Geula, days of Cherus, of liberation. And of course, so many lessons to discuss. So I want to focus on a few cardinal lessons that we can take from Pesach every year and specifically for this year. Um, one is something that I just heard yesterday. Um, as we just mentioned, I was on a plane yesterday, so I took along my earphones and listened to a beautiful Fabrengen of the Rebbe from Yudalaf Nissen of, I don't remember, remember, it was maybe 84, 83 or 84, I don't remember. But one of the sikhas, the Rebbe said something very interesting and was new, it was new to me. And that is that there's something unique about Pesach, more than any Yom Tov that we have, that the timing is described exactly when the nais happened, when exactly the gula happened. The Rebbe says, when you talk about Pesach, the, the Pasuk says that when did Makas Bechoros happen? Exactly at midnight. Vayihi Bachatsi Halayla. Well, midnight, exactly. Whatever exact midnight is, it was exactly 12, Vahi Bachatsi Halayla was exactly midnight. That was when Makas Bechiris was the plague of the firstborn, which was what gave Pari, what forced Pari to come and tell the Jewish people that they can leave Mitzrayim. So that the Gula began exactly at midnight. And when did they actually leave? You know, first uh, everyone gathered in one place. When did they actually leave? The Pasuk says, Vayihi be'etzem hayom hazeh. It was in the essence of day. So the Medrash says, they left exactly at midday. 12 hours after Makas Becheris. So this is just a fact that the Torah tells us that Yitzhak Mitzrayim happens at midnight. And then they actually, in other words, the, the permission is granted at midnight. And they actually leave at midday. And in that Fabrenian, the Rebbe contrasted it with any of the other Yom Tevim we have. All of them represent Nisan, right? But it doesn't say exactly when, exactly what time. Even Shavuos, Matan Torah. We know it was on the sixth day of Nisan or the seventh, based on two opinions. We know it was Shabbos. But it doesn't say that the giving Torah was at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. We don't know exactly what time it was. Um, Hanukkah. So there was miracles and there was wars, Purim. It doesn't typically say the minute. The only place and the only miracle that the Torah tells us exactly, exactly, to the minute, exactly when it happened. When did Makas Becheris happen? When was the permission given? When did they leave Mitzrayim? Was specifically the Yom Tov of Pesach. And as, as the Rebbe would always say that from this, there's a lesson to be learned. And the lesson is, the importance of every moment, of every minute. Sometimes we think, okay, well, we'll get to it. What's the difference exactly when or how or where? And, so, you know, I could do it now, but I could also, I could also do it in an hour. Because in two hours, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get the job done. Um, from the fact that this first great revelation of Hashem to us 
And our birth, the Torah describes in the minutes, is to give us, is to tell us, um, to underscore the importance of minutes, of exactness, of every moment, because everything Hashem makes is for a reason. Hashem didn't make anything just for Islamazad. As it says, Everything Hashem created is for a reason. Every person is for a reason. Every article, every, every item is for a reason. And every moment is for a reason. And when we utilize our moments, then every moment is special. Every moment is well spent. Whereas when we're just, when we're just lax with time, so a lot of time gets sort of lost. And here is that first message, again, in that Fabregna that the Rebbe learned from the Yom Tov of Pesach, of the importance of utilizing every moment. And he went on and says something very beautiful. He says, the Torah tells us the importance of the minute by midnight and by midday. What does night and day represent? So day is revelation, which typically is places of revealed holiness, tefillah, Torah, mitzvahs, that's day. Night is where godliness is not so revealed, which is in so much in our day, which are which we're doing things that are important, but not necessarily revealed godly. Not Torah, not mitzvahs. And in each one of them, the moments are important. And as the moments are important by night, and the moments are important by day. The moment is important when we're involved in things that are clearly spiritual and clearly holy. And the moments are important when we're involved in whatever we're doing. Whatever we're doing, our moments should count. And we should know what we did and when we did. And we should be able to come at the end of the day. Yeah, today was the day that I used my time. I used my moments. And not just I got a job done, but that the moments are actually um, counted. And the Rebbe says that this is um, what we say in Chumash about Avram and Sarah, the father and mother, first father and mother of Kuala Yisrael. Vavram visara zikenim ba'im bayamim. Literally, Avram and Sarah became old, and they came with their days. Full days. Full that means that each full. day was full. They didn't. They weren't just old because they were a hundred or whatever it was. They were old because every day was meaningful. When they came to a certain age, it wasn't just an age on a passport, but every day and every hour was accounted for because it was meaningful. It was well spent. Um, and that was that's using it for the for the reason and for the gift that Hashem gave it uh, to us and utilized it to completely. So that was one idea. And it's again, you're saying that the birth of that, that the only thing time that we know is the birth of the Jewish nation. But when a baby is born, there's no medactic to put the exact time of the minute when that baby was born. Like, why is that such a big deal? Like, why? Like, who? Well, you, you mean like in the hospital? Like in the hospitals, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And maybe it's because like... Each and that's very interesting. That, that we see here the concept that by birth is when our life is given and every moment is important. And I'll tell you a, 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 personal, a personal experience about that time is I have a son who today is he's 18 years old. Um, his no, not today's his birthday, but he is 18 years old. In fact, he just came back today, literally today, from yeshiva. I haven't seen him in half a year, but he came back today. Um, but when he was born, 18 years ago, 18 and a half years ago, so it was born on a Friday night, and there was a big shaila about the exact moment of birth. Because, I'm not, I could sidetrack our whole shir and talk about this halacha, which I won't do, but I'll give you for three minutes, that there is an issue as far as a bris is concerned. Because if a child is born on Shabbos, the bris is on Shabbos. No problem. The mitzvah of bris, um, uh, what's the word, outweighs or whatever, you do it on Shabbos. So if a child is born on Shabbos, he's going to Shabbos. Born on Friday, bris is on Friday. Born, uh, born on Sunday, the bris is on Sunday. 
There is, we know that period of time that's a Bein Hashmashos, which is between sundown and the stars coming out. That's called, as you're all saying, Bein Hashmashos, which is the great, the halachic question. Is that twilight? It's twilight, yeah, basically. And in halacha, there is, Bein Hashmashos creates a lot of interesting situations. One of the most interesting ones is if a boy, baby boy is born, Friday night Bein Hashmashos. Because, you know when the bris will be? Sunday. Sunday. Wow. Why Sunday? And it's very interesting. Why Sunday? You would think either Friday or Shabbos. How does Sunday get into the picture? The answer is, if his birthday is Friday, it should be Friday the bris. So you definitely can't do it on Friday because his birthday might be Shabbos, so Friday is too early, right? Now, if he was born on Friday, if he's born on Friday, then the bris would not be able to be on Shabbos. Because the bris had to be on Friday, then you wouldn't be allowed to do it on Shabbos. But you can't do it Friday because maybe he was born on Shabbos. You can't do a Shabbos, maybe he was born on Friday, and you have to do it on Sunday. Okay? It, it's, it's, it's technical, but that's the, that's the bottom line. Is that what you now, meant? No. So the question was, <laughs> that, that's pretty clear-cut in halacha. You know, that sounded complicated, but that's clear-cut. Uh, he was born, it wasn't clear if it was actually Ben Ashmashos or it was already Tzai was it already the stars come out? It was in the minutes, Mamish. You said about the exactness of a minute. And I remember walking back from the hospital. I went to Bnei Ruven. I talked to Rabbi Shustam and all of Ashalom. And he says, I, I believe that it's Sesakuchavim. And I believe the bris should be on Shabbos, but I want to check it out. And after Shabbos, he went to the hospital and he talked to the nurses. Rabbi Shustam wasn't a young man. This was the last year of his life. And, oh, wow. and he had, yes, this was a few months before he passed away, three months before he passed away. This is one of the last big shilas that he dealt with. And he went to the hospital and he interrogated the nurses. And he wanted to know because not necessarily the, the time that they will consider birth is the time the Torah considers birth. So what you is know, right? it has to do with what is birth, when the head comes out, when the body comes out. And uh, to be honest, I don't remember all the what details. The cord is still attached. That's not important. It doesn't matter. But yes. I mean, that doesn't consider not being born. The point, point is... Rabbi Shusterman said that the bris should be on Shabbos. Now, I had a mohel lined up. Um, I don't know if anybody of you remember a Rabbi Weissblum who lives in town, a young man uh, from Hasidish background, not Chabad. And his grandfather was one of the greatest postkim in the generation. You may have heard of Rabbi Vosner. He passed away a couple years ago at the age of, I think, 104 or something. So he was supposed to be my mohel. He called his grandfather. The grandfather said, you're not doing that bris. I don't think that you could do it on Shabbos. I don't go. Rabbi Vosner didn't go for it. Because there's different shitas, and he was going according to others. And Rabbi Shusterman said, but I believe that according to the Alter Rebbe, according to the shita, you should. So he wouldn't do the bris. Rabbi Shusterman called him Rabbi Turkeltop, and he says, I want to do the bris. He went to Rabbi First. Rabbi First said, I don't know. Rabbi Shusterman said, I'm telling you to do oh the bris. God. This was, it was a very exciting situation. So what happened? The bris was on Shabbos. Who did it? Rabbi Turkeltop. Um, in fact, just because I'm saying the story, on Wednesday, everything is already set. I thought it's all set. So on Wednesday, three days before the bris, my parents were already on the way from Eretz Yisrael. I get a call from Rabbi Shustam and he says, you know, it is a big shaila. it's Shabbos. I want another Rav who will agree with my standing. I believe I'm right, but I want someone else who, after all that. So I asked him who, and he told me um, Rabbi Heller in New York. So I talked to Rabbi Heller. Rabbi Heller was on Carlos. I called me back tonight, and I'm like... <laughs> and finally, call him back Wednesday night. He says, What did Rabbi Shusterman say? He says, I agree with Rabbi Shusterman. Uh, <laughs> and that was that. Jaundice, it would have been like, follow uh, up. All for a waste, right? 
But that was the story. Anyway, so that was talk about the exactness of moments, and especially when it comes to birth. And every moment is truly special. And it's so beautiful when we, are, when we see to it to use our moments and make our moments count. And that is that lesson that I, just yesterday I was sitting on the plane and I was listening, the Rebbe talking by that Yud Aleph Nissen Fabringen about one very spe- special message about Pesach. And as soon as I heard it, I said, great for tomorrow night's shoe. So that's number one. But with Haritz and Dara, he just stuck his, stuck his fist out and they tied a red ribbon around it. So with that birth, was I, it I don't know if halakhi that is considered. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We're talking about the Komish. The daughters of... Uh, of, uh, of the no, no, no. no uh, Yehuda. Yehuda and Tamar. Right, so then he stuck his fist down. Right, right. Lama parasta alecha paras. Even though he put his fist back and the other one came out. And they said he's first. But it wasn't, it wasn't exactly, right? I think I went, I went, maybe I forgot, maybe it was something else. The 12 o'clock midnight, like you're saying, like, you know, because there's some variations on that 12 o'clock. It wasn't, it wasn't, or midnight. You well, know, like, what is the definition? No, so, so, so it was, there is a halachic time of chatzos, of midnight. Now, when Moshe, I think what you're learning is probably this. When Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Paro, he said it's going to be kachatzos halayla, which means around midnight. But when Hashem told Moshe, he said it's going to be at midnight. So Rashi comments and says, why the change? And Rashi said, Rashi explains, because Moshe Rabbeinu knew that Paro and his advisors might not have the exact timings. So if he's going to say it's going to be exactly at a certain point in time, they'll come and say, oh, he's five minutes off. So Moshe Rabbeinu told Paro it's around. Not because really it was around, really it was exactly when the right midnight was. Moshe just didn't want others to say, well, according to our calculation, Hashem is three minutes late or something like that. So Hashem, Moshe gave it a little bit of a, uh, gave him some leeway so that they shouldn't be able to come back with a taina, with a complaint or with an argument or a criticism. But the Amis was, though, that it was Bachatzos, it was exact as the Torah says that it was. Okay, so that is lesson A, the lesson, the importance of time. You know what, to conclude that point, let me just say that right after the first night of Pesach, we begin a special mitzvah that is for 49 days long, and it's all about counting time, counting days. Perhaps the most important thing we can do preparing for Torah is to make sure that every day is counted for. Every day is important, every day is special, every hour is special, and to make sure that our time is counted, that's the special mitzvah that we do starting from Pesach, going all the way to Shavuos, and all of that fits right into this idea of the significance, the importance, and the beauty of time in every moment. Okay, that will be point A. Let's move on to another idea, an idea that I believe that I've mentioned here perhaps in previous years, but nevertheless a very beautiful and important idea. One of the great Tanoim, one of the great sages of the Mishnah, who we spoke about, especially also when we went through the oral tradition, and that is Hillel Hazakin, Hillel the Elder, who... You'll recall, once he became the Nasi, once he became the leader of the Jewish people, leadership remained in his family for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, right? He had this, that was the whole Shimon and Gamliel chain, and Shimon and Gamliel, a seventh generation there was of Yehuda HaNasi, the, uh, the um, compiler of Mishnayis. All that begins with, again, that great sage, Hillel HaNasi, Hillel the prince. How did Hillel become Nasi? And that is a very interesting and beautiful story in the Gemara. And it has to do with Pesach. And that is, Hillel lived in the time of the second Beis HaMikdash. 
He lived, actually, he lived 100 years before the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash. Now, in the, the leaders before Hillel, the accepted leaders of the Jewish people, were two people together, and they were Shmaya and Avtalion. And they were, in fact, converts. And they were the leaders of the Jewish people, and they were, for, they were the ones who were responsible for giving over and transmitting the Torah in that generation. Shmaya and Avtalion passed on. And after they passed on, it wasn't clear who should be the next leader. And there was this period of, there wasn't one official great leader. There was a family of Rabbonim that were sort of, um, what's the word? They were leading the people. Um, they were leading at the time. They were called the children of Beseira, B'nai Beseira. And things were going fine, and then a question came up, and they didn't know the answer to that question. What was the question? Question was that year Pesach fell out on Sunday. Okay, uh, what's the problem of Pesach on Sunday? Think back to Beis Hamikdash times. What do we do on erev Pesach? We burn chametz. Okay, but that's not a big deal. You could burn it a day earlier. That's not such a problem. Another, a much greater issue Pesach is the day earlier, the carbon Pesach, the great carbon that every family of the Jewish people brought. Erev Pesach was called the Karban Pesach, the special Paschal offering. That was on Pesach. Erev Pesach. It was the day before Pesach. It was an Erev Pesach. You can't do that earlier. That's got to be that date. It's Yud, Dalid, Nisan, the 14th of Nisan. And here the question arose, a simple halachic question. Are you allowed to bring the Karban Pesach on Shabbos? Yes or no? But you bring Karbanos. So here's the thing. There are Karbanos that you are allowed to bring on Shabbos, Shabbos, and there are Karbanos that you're not allowed to bring on Shabbos. In the laws of Karbanos, in the Beis HaMikdash on Shabbos, they brought certain Karbanos. Most Karbanos, though, were not brought on Shabbos in the Beis HaMikdash. And here the question came, Pesach that year is on Sunday, Erev Pesach is Shabbos, all of Kalal Yisrael is waiting to hear, do we bring the Karban on Shabbos or we don't? And this family, these rabbis, the Bnei Beseira, didn't know the answer. They just didn't know. They thought, they this, they didn't know. And they called out, they let out a, uh, they probably put out a public email blast or something, and they said, does anyone know the answer? This is an important halacha. The entire Klal Yisrael needs to know. How We're not asking... How humble they were. How, they yes. how many years so that, so that is a great question. That's a great question. And the question that, that historians talk about that, like how could it have been such a long time that nobody should remember? And there's something, there's forum that talk about that and people suggest different answers. You have to remember this is before a set calendar, right? So this is a calendar that could always fluctuate. Theoretically, something cannot happen for 100 years. When it's a set calendar, there's every so many years it has to come up to be. But if it's not a set calendar, it doesn't have to happen. Statistically, it should have, but it seems that it didn't for whatever reason. There's different speculations about it. Be that as it may, they let out this question to the masses. Is there any Rav? Is there any Talmud Chacham? Is there anyone? Who knows? And Hillel steps forward. And Hillel actually wasn't even from Israel initially. Hillel was from Babel, from Babylon. He was called Hillel Habavli. And Hillel Satsuri says, yes, I know. And yes, you are allowed to bring it on Shabbos. And they say, well, how do you know? So he says, well, I can derive it from the verses. And he goes on to tell them which verse can be, uh, you can derive it from which verse. And they say, nice, but okay, you know, someone else might argue that you could read this verse differently. 
you know, you know, it's a good, good teaching that you brought to us, but who says this for sure? And Hillel says, I didn't make this up. I received this, I learned this from Shmaya and Avtalium, the previous leaders of Klal Yisrael. The ones that have passed away, but Hillel was a Talmud of theirs. Hillel was a disciple of Shmaya and Avtalium. So although he hadn't, at the point yet, assumed the mantle of leadership, but he says, I'm not just saying just because I think so, just because it makes sense. I know this to be true because I received this from our Rebbe Shmaya and Avtalium. And when Hillel said that, first of all, what he said became law, because both he was able to derive it from the verses, and he said he received it from Shmaya and Avtalion. And then you have one of the greatest acts of humility, that the sons of Becerra say, you know what, you're deserving to be the leader, not us. And they stepped down, and Hillel became the Nasi of the Jewish people. And again, a Nasius, a leadership that lasted in his family for hundreds of years, 13 generations of Hillel's descendants were the Nasi of the Jewish people. So all of that came from that story that happened on that era of Pesach, which was a Shabbos era of Pesach, a hundred years before the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash. That's the story of the Gemara. Question is, what's the depth? What, what's the idea behind the story? Why was there this question? Why was it Hillel that knew the answer? Why was Hillel's great leadership based on this answer that he was able to come up with? No, what's the what's the step deeper? What's the lesson and the message behind this story? I think you told us, I think maybe I'm wrong. I think you told us this, not I think, because somewhere in my long-term memory, I mean, because this shows the Messorah. So for sure, for sure it shows the Messorah. But however, many mitzvahs could have shown the Messorah. From the fact that it was specifically this mitzvah that brought it to be, means there's something about this mitzvah that tells us something about leadership and specifically Hillel's leadership. So although what you said is definitely correct, that this story tells us the power of the Messorah, but there's still, perhaps we can go a step deeper and understand what is it unique about this mitzvah. And the Rebbe explains that very beautifully in Asicha. And he says, in order to understand that, we have to go back a second to the story. And see, what, why was it such a big question if this carbon does, you could do it on Shabbos or you can't? So I told you before, because there are some carbonos that you're allowed to do on Shabbos and some not. What's the rule? Which yes and which not? So the general rule of thumb is that there are two types of carbonos. There is a carbon that's called a carbon sibur. That means a communal carbon. Like for example, the carbon Tamid brought every morning in the Beis HaMikdash on behalf of the whole Klal Yisrael. And the carbon Tamid brought every, every evening. Or the carbon Musa for Shabbos. These are the communal offerings. Those you bring on Shabbos. But on the other um, side of the coin, you have carbonos Yachid. Private carbonos. A person brings a sin offering. A person brings a thanks offering because of a miracle that happened. A woman who gives birth brings a Carbon for giving birth. A gayer, a convert, brings a carbon for converting. A nazir. There's so many. Uh, the majority of carbonos are carbonos yachid. So the general rule of thumb is, a carbon yachid, you may not bring on Shabbos. A carbon sibur, you may bring on Shabbos. That's the general rule of thumb. Says the Rebbe, now we'll understand what was the big question about carbon Pesach. What is carbon Pesach? Is it a carbon yachid or a sibur? What is it? Doesn't everybody have to bring their own? So on the one hand, every family has to bring their own, which would indicate that it's a carbon yachid. It's personal for each family. On the other hand, everyone has to bring it together. 
That's not like a typical yachid. You say everyone has to bring it together. Every family had to bring a carbon over to base of Yes. They were pretty busy over there. Very. Yeah. And they burned it at the same time? Yes. Yes. Time. It was probably the busiest day that the Samikdash every year was Erev Pesach. Yeah. So you have here, you have here thousands and thousands of karbonos. So again, think about this. On the one hand, all of Kuala Yisrael is coming with their karbon. So that would sound like a carbon seaboard. It's a communal type of thing. We're all doing it. In the same base, I make this together. On the other hand, but each one of us has to do it on our own. So with these other communal, with these other carbon seaboards, there was one animal? Mm-hmm. One or two or three, depending on the carbon. But it wasn't everyone bringing on their own. The, in the base on Mikdash, every morning they brought one sheep, and that was the carbon for all of Klal Yisrael. On Shabbos, the carbon Musaf, there was a few animals, but it was those few animals brought for Klal Yisrael. Here, each family is on their own. Each family has to bring their own carbon. But it's not like a typical carbon yachid where just I bring it and that's it. Everyone has to bring it on the same day to the same place at the same time. Which means that the carbon Pesach has yachid strains and sibur strains. And this was the depth of the question. The B'nai B'Sera weren't simple people. You know, they were great rabbis. And they understood the two sides of the coin. And they somehow couldn't see how to look at this carbon, how to define it properly. What is it? Is it yachid? And then it shouldn't be a Dana Shabbos. Is it sibur and it should? Comes Hilo. And Hillel, who is destined to be one of the greatest leaders of Klal Yisrael, and the true leader of Klal Yisrael, is able to see and bring together the Yachid and the Sibor. The beauty of Klal Yisrael is that on the one hand, there's such significance to the Tzibur, to the Klal, to the Minyan, to the group. There's a tremendous emphasis on the importance of the Klal. At the same time, there's a tremendous emphasis on the uniqueness of every yachid, of every individual. And the greatest leaders of Kalal Yisrael were those who were able to appreciate and work for both at the same time. And Hill was able to look at Karban Pesach and see that it's not a contradiction. The fact that there's something that's everyone together doesn't mean that we have to forget about the uniqueness of each one individual that together make up that whole. And Hill was able to come and say, this carbon is a carbon yachid and a carbon sibur together and has the power to be docha Shabbos, to do it on Shabbos. And when Hill said that, they said, this is a person who can really be a nasi, a person who's not going to bend on either side, a person who's going to remember each individual and see and look for the importance of the cloud and see how each individual makes up, all together make up a cloud only because of the importance of each one. Interestingly, Hillel is the one who says in Pirkei Avos a very telling and powerful statement. And when you hear the statement now, you understand how it fits right into who Hillel was. Hillel says, Im ein ani li, me li. Translated, if I'm not for myself, who will be? Which means I have to think about myself, my individual self. But if I only think about myself, Mani, what am I? So Hillel says, always remember both. I have to think about myself and take care of myself and make sure that I'll be the best that I can be. At the same time, I can't just be thinking about myself. I have to see myself as part of something so much bigger, but not at the expense of thinking and taking care of myself. So Hillel was able to champion 
carbon Pesach. And therefore, this carbon, which is the only such carbon of the whole year, right? we have no other carbon like this, that it's everyone on their own, but everyone together. What about the carbon Chagiga? Also, could, could like an extended family do it? Like, yeah. let's say, yeah. Yeah, well, carbon Chagiga was not a Chiyu in every family. Carbon Chagiga depended if you had enough meat, you didn't have enough meat from the other carbonas, that wasn't a Chiyu. It was only a Chiyu also for those who only were in Yerushalayim who were Ola Laregel. That's not for everyone. Carbon Pesach is for all, every family of Klal Yisrael. And yes, extended families could get together. Right. I think we mentioned last, last time that extended families would get together. But each one had to be counted for on that carbon. Because when you brought the carbon Pesach, you had to say, I'm doing it for this family, and this family, and this family, which is made up of these and these people. Right. So everyone was counted for. Because you had to finish the meat. Right, because you had to finish the entire sheep that, before Chatzos. Mm-hmm. Right? They had more than one Mizbeach over there, I guess. No, 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 no. <laughs> there was one Mizbeach in the Beis Amikdash. It was, yeah, the Beis Amikdash was full of Nisim. It really is. The Beis Amikdash was full of Nisim. There's thousands of them. Well, the co- the Kohanim were very good. <laughs> <laughs> they, they knew their stuff. Rabbi Silverberg, you're going to be very busy. <laughs> Anyhow, so this car, this carbon, this carbon which we have once a year is the carbon that signifies the significance of the individual, while not losing sight of the importance of the klal of the group. And that's something that all too often we lean more to one side and further away from the other. Sometimes we think about the individual and we think less about the klal. Sometimes we think about the klal and less about the individual. But ultimately, it's about thinking and caring for and giving um, ultimate significance to both. And that's why on the birth of klal Yisrael, which is Pesach, and every year we're born again, um, the carbon that heralds that is the carbon that signifies the tremendous double significance that Hashem has here, the significance of every person and the significance of the klal. And that is another um, very important Pesach message connecting to the birth of klal Yisrael. Just like, so we have point A, we talked about the significance of time and how we see that in Pesach. And now we see the significance of the yachid as well as the tzibur signified in the carbon Pesach brought before Pesach. Um, Just to finish that part, Many times, Erev Pesach, when it comes Mincha time, people might be a drop tired or something for whatever reason. But there is a special tefillah that we say right after Mincha of Erev Pesach, which is the Karban Pesach. It's about, it's not long, it should take a couple of minutes. It's uh, maybe 20, 25 pages in the sitter. And it goes through, 25, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sorry. I, I, my mistake, my mistake. 25 lines. I'm sorry, my mistake. So, about 20, 25 lines in the sitter, and it goes through the basic um, uh, psukim and halachas of the carbon Pesach, and it's something that one should try to say. It's a very special sports fila, and it's what we say in the place of carbon Pesach, and Hashem should help that this year we shouldn't have to say it in the place of carbon Pesach, Mashiach will come, we'll have an actual carbon Pesach. But all the years until then, we've always said that little part, which is the Seder carbon Pesach, signifying this great carbon that will be brought before Pesach in Mirza Hashem. So that is lesson number two. Can I just like have a visual here? So all of all of the women come to Shalayim, right? And they bring their animals up. 
there's this big bonfire going on with all the animals. Mm. And <laughs> they do it one at a time? And then they, everybody, yeah. and yeah. then everyone yeah. eats their animals up? Basically, I mean, no, they don't eat it in the base of meat, you go no, home. No. You take your animal home, yeah, right? and you just and, and you have your seder. They make a barbecue, you take your barbecue. This home. is the centerpiece of your seder, and you have to have a line. There had to be sure there was home. a system. Oh, obviously, there's systems yeah. and there's lines and there's people helping, and of course, I mean, everything is uh, and. Not everyone from the family had to be there in the Besamekdash. The person bringing the carbon brought it for the family. And the family is at home. A sheep. A sheep is not a big animal. I like lambs. good stuff. I can't even imagine. Was the movie of it? Netflix. Mr. Shem, we'll see you. Okay. Another idea about Pesach from the Pesach Seder. And we discussed last week, or two weeks ago in the last year, was that the Pesach Seder night, more than anything, is devoted, or, or I don't know, more, but one of the primary focuses of that night is the mitzvah of chinuch, of education. Um, the mitzvah of telling over the story of leaving Mitzrayim is to tell it over in a form of giving over to children. The Pasuk says... Vihigadata Labincha to give this over to your children. And that's why children have always been a center of the Pesach Seder. Um, and as the children come home and they tell us right away that the, as, far, as soon as the father comes home from Shul, you have to machman bald kiddish, right away you make kiddish so that these children shouldn't sleep and ask the Manashtana. And that's why you have all different um, antics that people do and make in order to keep the children awake and the Pesach Seder. And it should be focused on them, and we should ask them questions and have them ask questions. And the problem is, the kids learn so much on Cheder, they ask the questions and give the answers. <laughs> so you want to say, I want to tell the answer. I know the answer already, right? But the point is, there's no question that the Pesach Seder is all about Chinuch, and so much about the Seder is about Chinuch. And we discussed two weeks ago that that has a lot to do with the fact that we're all children by the Pesach Seder. And we're all working on our chinuch. But primarily, it's the actual children that we talk to and we educate. So in the Pesach Seder, there is a lot about chinuch and a lot about education. I'm going to point to one very obvious part of the Seder that has a very obvious, simple, yet important and powerful message about chinuch. And that is, as soon as we begin the Pesach Seder, we say, Baruch HaMokam Baruch Hu, Blessed be Hashem, blessed be He, um, that the Torah talks to four different types of children. Right? We have the four sons of the Pesach Seder who are uh, illustrated in so many different ways in the various Pesach Haggadahs. But you have the Chacham and the Rasha and the Tam and the She'enoi de Elishal. The Chacham is the wise son and the Rasha is the wicked son and the Tam is the simple son and the She'enoi de Elishal is the one who can't even ask a question. And there's so many different explanations about what these four sons represent and who exactly they represent and the order that they're there and so on. But before all of the understanding of what and how they represent, there's something even more powerful, and that is the basic message that there isn't one message for everyone. You can't talk to everyone in the same way. There's four different children, and therefore each one has to be addressed individually and differently. So, of course, 
the basic message is the same. The basic message that we want to bring across to everyone is that Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim and Hashem took us out of Egypt and gives us the ability to go out of our own Mitzrayim and will take us out of Golos. So that's the general message. But it's never enough to give one general message for different people. Ultimately, we have to know how to talk to every person according to the needs of that person. And in order for a person to gain most of what we're trying to tell them, we have to take their particular situation into consideration and address them accordingly. And that's how the Seder starts. After it gives us the general statement, okay, we have to all talk about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, but he says, but remember, there's different people sitting around the table. And it never works. One general message for everyone doesn't work because people are different and minds are different and hearts are different and personalities are different and situations are different and so circumstances are different. And it becomes the primary tool of Chinuch to be able to appreciate that everyone needs to hear something that's somewhat tailored for them. And of course, it's not necessarily easy at all, but it's not one size fit all. It's people. It's people and hearts and minds. And the Torah tells us that to each one, you have to talk in their own language and their own way. And this is a, an obvious idea, but something that's not easy to do because we tend to have one message, so we'll say it one way for everyone. And the Torah tells us it's not that way. Um, interestingly, we have Moshe Rabbeinu himself seems to struggle with this. And where is that? We have a very interesting uh, story in the Torah, uh, a debate, if you will, between Moshe Rabbeinu and his father-in-law. Yisrael, right? What happens? Um, Yisrael shows up and the Jewish people are there. And Moshe Rabbeinu is teaching Torah to all the Jewish people, judging all the Jewish people. And Yisrael tells Moshe, this is not going to work. You have to have different you know, levels of judges and teachers. And you have to have smaller judges and higher level judges and higher level judges and higher level judges. But Moshe Rabbeinu is pretty resistant. And Moshe Rabbeinu feels, no, I, I should be doing it for everyone. And Hashem comes down on Yisrael's side. And he says, it's a good idea. Right? Split up the, uh, make a whole hierarchy of judges and teachers and so on and so forth. What was really going on between Moshe and Yisrael? What, uh, what was the debate? Why didn't Moshe understand what Yisrael was saying? What were they really arguing about? So really the issue was the following. Of course, Moshe Rabbeinu has the word of Hashem. No other teacher is ever going to be Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu felt, who can be the best one to give over the word of Hashem to everyone? Moshe Rabbeinu. Because he knew he's the one who heard it from Hashem. Having other people there and they're going to teach, it's not going to be the same thing. And Moshe Rabbeinu's right. Of course it's not going to be the same thing. So Moshe gives the word of Hashem and he gives that, he'll give it over and everyone will hear and that's all. But, and although Moshe Rabbeinu's right from one perspective, but from Yisro's perspective or from the perspective of the receivers, when there's one Moshe Rabbeinu giving one message for 600,000 people, they're not all going to pick it up. Everyone needs to be catered to in his way. It's better not to hear directly from Moshe Rabbeinu, but to hear from someone who can cater to me according to my own needs. And that's what Yisro was telling Moshe Rabbeinu. Just, of course, Yisro also understood Moshe Rabbeinu as the ultimate teacher, but he's going to give one teaching. And there's so many different types of people. But if there is thousands of teachers or hundreds, tens of thousands of teachers, then everyone can be taught according to the way that they need best. And that is the idea of keneged arba banim divra Yes, there's ultimately one message. 
There's one UCS Mitzrayim, there's one Moshe Rabbeinu, there's one Torah, Torah, and there's one Hashem, of course. But nevertheless, how the message is given over, and to each person individually, has to be different. And yeah, it's more difficult, and it takes more thinking, and it takes more working on it, but that's what Chinuch is, thinking about the individual needs of people and talking to them in the way that they understand best. And without a doubt, that is an important Chinuch message from the Haggadah as well. So, to uh, summarize, how many points did we talk about so far? Three. Three, importance of time, then. The importance of Tzibur and Yachid, the importance of both the Klal and the Prat, or the, uh, the uh, individual and the community. And then, the importance of individualization. When teaching, when giving over, whatever message it is, to understand that there's different types of recipients and to talk to each one according to their own way. Okay, we have time for another one? But they still don't sure. go to school. It's, everyone, try, everyone, everyone tries. It's, it's very, very difficult. It, you know, I, I, I work in school too, and it's very, very difficult. You know, you're one person and you're talking to, really, if every person could have their own teacher, it would be wonderful. But that's not the situation, so it takes a lot of chachma and a lot of effort and a lot of thinking to be able to give one class and at the same time talk to different people and give everyone their own time and place. That's something that every teacher who, who works is working on it struggles with. But that's definitely an avayda. And even as parents, parents with two children or three or four or five or, or one, whatever it is, to be able to talk to people differently it's is different. not easy, but so important. And that's the message from that God. Okay, um, another idea. I mentioned in last class that matzah is called michla de mehemanusa, the bread of faith. I'm sure we talked about that, right? Two weeks ago. The matzah has a very spiritual, holy power to strengthen our emuna. Now, just like food strengthens us physically and gives us the nutrients that we need physically, whether we understand how it works or we don't, Right? I'm sure maybe some people learned the biology and know exactly how what we eat helps us. Uh, some people don't. I know that for a fact. Um, but nevertheless, uh, we believe it, that food helps our bodies and makes us stronger or weaker, depending on what we're eating. The same thing is spiritually, that there are certain foods that actually strengthen our neshama. And the, probably the holiest food that we have today, nowadays, um, you know, in the time of Yisamikdash, you have certain karbonos. But nowadays, the, the food that you can say is actually holy is matzah. Because matzah has that koyach, that strength, that ability to strengthen our emuna, the emuna v'yid. And therefore, it's called michlo de bread of faith. And I mentioned then as well that the Rebbe always made it a very central thing to try to share matzah, shmura matzah, with another yid, someone who might not have it on, it, on their own. But one of you mentioned, and I said I'll talk about that today, that matzah also has another name in the Zohar, and that is michla de asvasa. The word asvasa is Aramaic for healing, for refuah. And matzah, in addition to being michla de mehemanusa, bread of faith, is bread of healing. And according to Zohar and Kabbalah and Hasidus, it just like it strengthens our neshama and demuna, it actually has powers of healing, powers of refuah. Um, I know some of the rabbeim, I don't know all, but definitely when, I, th I think it's written about the Alter Rebbe, that people were sick, and he would send them shmura matzah, specifically for healing. Um, even if it was after Pesach. But I don't know if, if for everyone shmura matzah after Pesach has a power of healing, maybe that's special for a Rebbe to send. But definitely during Pesach, and specifically it's written that on the second night of Pesach, 
the matzah has healing powers. The first night is primarily, the matzah is primarily michla de mehemanusa. It's there to strengthen our emuna, and the second day for healing. Are they near to Yisrael? They don't have a second day Seder. Right. So whatever whatever we have in two days of Yom Tov, Eretz Yisrael has both of them within the first day. Um, what any areas of Eretz Yisrael in general, the Kedusha is more compact and compound. Okay. And therefore what, we, uh, what takes us two days, they're able to experience and connect to in one day. So that's as far as Pesach, that's as far as Shemina Seres and Chastera. Um, that's as far as anything that happens here in Eretz Yisrael. Now, what's interesting is, we see here something very beautiful, and that is, we're talking about something spiritual, and it's a mitzvah, and we're saying that helps us spiritually, and at the same time, it helps us physically. And here we have a powerful message about Klal Yisrael, and that is that by a Yid, our Gashmias and our Ruchnias are not disconnected. Because we might think, okay, this is good for my Neshama. But for food, for that I have to go, for my goof, for my body, that something else will help me for. So matzah is good soul food, and then whatever is good body food. And that makes sense, because this is spiritual and it's physical. It does make sense. But that's not the way Hashem created us. The unique gift that Hashem gave Klal Yisrael is that not just we have a body and we also have a neshama. And we have to feed our body and also feed our neshama and make our body happy and make our neshama happy. But Hashem created a body and neshama that are fused so that the ruchnius is able to affect and have a, power, a powerful effect on our gashmius as well. And therefore this food, that's a ruchniistic food, that's a spiritual food, also at the same time becomes a physical food, a food uh, uh, that's a, that makes a keli for refuah as well. And this idea that by Ayid, Gashmias and Ruchnias are not two separate in, you know, um, entities, but that they help each other and they work together is a, is a very basic and important idea in Yiddishkeit. That it's not two separate things. Um, as, as you know, I'm sure that one of the things that typically when people write to the Rebbe because of one problem or another or a third, so many times the Rebbe offered Ruchnistic advice. And he says, Go, you know, are you checking your mezuzahs? Are you checking your tefillin? Um, the kashros? Whatever it was. Because in the Rebbe's mind, they were totally fused. The situation physically, by a person and the ailments, whatever was going on, by, by strengthening ourselves in Ruchnius areas had a direct impact on Gashmius as well, as we see here in Matzah. And another place we see that on Yom Tev is... On Yom Tov, there's a special mitzvah to be happy. B'simcha, right? As the Pasuk says, V'samachta b'chagecha. You're supposed to rejoice on Yom Tov, on the holiday. Okay, so we should be happy. How? What are you supposed to do in order to be happy in Yom Tov? So, drink wine, eat meat, nice clothing, whatever it takes. It's physical. Right? right? So here the thing is, so what did Hashem want? That we should just enjoy wine and meat and clothing for Yom Tov? So that was the whole thing. Hashem gave us Pesach so we should have a good meal and we should have nice clothing. It sounds a little bit anticlimactic. Isn't there so many spiritual energies and spiritual messages to Yom Tov? And of course there are. But the message is that by a Yid, these are not two separate entities. We're supposed to be happy on Yom Tov in a wholesome way, physically and spiritually together. Of course, if a person's whole Simcha Sachag is because the food was great and my clothing was great, that's very shallow. But on the other hand, if someone says, you know what, no food, no clothing for me, I'm just going to dance with Hashem this Yom Tov. I'm just going to learn a daven all night. No food, no wine. You're not doing Yom Tov right. 
So Hashem gave us a Yom Tov and says, I want you to be Simcha in a wholesome way. I want your Simcha to be spiritually. Of course, I want you to discuss and think about the Yom Tov and celebrate the Yom Tov and daven and learn about the Yom Tov. And at the same time, I don't want your Ruchnius ever to be divorced from your Gashmius. I want you to make sure that while you're celebrating Yom Tov, to also celebrate with a good meal and celebrate with good clothing and celebrate with a happy atmosphere in the house so that the Simcha should be a complete one of the Neshama and the Guf together because that's how Hashem created us to be when He made us a nation. We're not just Neshamas and we're not just Gufim. We're Yidn. That a Yid is the Chibur, the, um, the combination of Neshama and Guf. And the only way we can ever serve Hashem properly is when we learn how to fuse both of them and both of their needs in our Avaida. So therefore you have Matzah, which is Michla de Mehemenusa. At the same time, it's Michla de Asvasa. It strengthens our Amuna and strengthens us physically. It's Yom Tev, so we're Besimcha spiritually because the spiritual energies of Yom Tev. And it's Yom Tev, and we celebrate that not only spiritually, but equally together with our, our physical and material capacities as well. And together, that's how we have a simcha of Yom Tev, the nefesh and the guf together. So I'll put that down as number four, is the importance of the chibur, the connection of guf and nefesh, body and soul, both when it comes to matzah, when it comes to simcha, all of them is about bringing the body and the soul of the year together in serving Hashem. And have such a like potent power. It must be wine and challah, um, right? <laughs> lechem panim must have been. So lechem panim, as I said, in the Beis Hamikdash there was plenty. All of the karbonos were that type. Karbonos were food of holiness, and some of them could only be eaten by certain people. And if you were tahor or not tahor, and so on and so forth. So in the Beis Hamikdash, that was a, a big thing. In the time of Golos, I don't know of another food that the actual food has that type of kedusha to it. And it's, with matzah, it's only on Pesach. Right, right, right. And you see, all of these messages are so unique to Pesach, because Pesach is this Yom Tev of our birth, and the Yom Tev, so all of these messages are really surrounding Pesach, which is really the, I would say, the diving board for the rest of the year. It's where, where we started, gives us the Koyach to start correctly, and those messages we carry with us throughout the year. Throughout the year, we're always saying, Zechel Yisies Mitzrayim, Zechel Yisies Mitzrayim, we always go back to Pesach. Also, it's a physical refuah, not just spiritual. Yes, emotional. yes, definitely. It's an actual physical. Definitely, it's an actual physical refuah, begashmius, and it should be a refuah for everyone who needs a refuah in all different ways, physical and emotional, spiritual, and every type of refuah um, from this Pesach and from the Matzah and all the mitzvahs of Pesach. I'll finish with what we began that um, Chazal say, Benissen Nigalu, that Nissen was the first Gula, Nissen is going to be the final Gula. Pesach itself, the first two days of Pesach, are primarily focused on the Geula of the past, and the last two days of Pesach are primarily focused on the Geula of the future. And that's what we have on the Shvi Shal Pesach, and especially Achron Shal Pesach, and Mashiach Seuda, and the Aftorah all about Mashiach, all about um, Mashiach and the coming of Mashiach. And that's because Pesach is, without a doubt, from the entire year, the Yom Tev that symbolizes Geula. So we started with Geula, we head to Geula, we're going to Geula. It's a Yom Tev of Geula. Hashem should give each and every one of us a Chakash V'Sameach and an Emesa. Geula Diki Yom Tev, a Geula, and all the personal Geulas that people need, all different types of Geulas, um, to be able to be Besimcha the way we should, be on Pesach, and to be a collective Geula for Klal Yisrael with Mashiach Zedkenu, to celebrate Pesach together in the base of Mikdash Hashlishi. And um, if you have, if you need any help finding a good coin to take care of your carbonos, I'll try to uh, help you. 
and the question for the Pesach. Will anyone advance? Will you let us come in line? Just say Monday night. Just say 